So we, um, we're in the final stretch, kind of the home stretch of our parenting series uh, that we've called Parenting by Design. And if you remember back in week one, we talked about uh, the most important factor in parenting. Now that's a pretty tall order to say that there's one thing that's more important than, than anything else. Uh, but we talked about how as we, as we go to God's word, we see that the most important factor is for the parent to have a personal and sincere faith in Jesus. Having a personal and sincere faith does not mean that we're perfect parents. In fact, it's the opposite of that. It means that we're imperfect parents who rely on a perfect Savior. So I hope that that helped connect the dots and made sense, you know, in week one. It's all about relying on Jesus and allowing him to develop us and mold us into the people that God's called us to be. Uh, Last week, we talked about what it looks like for parents uh, to parent the heart of our children and not just the behavior. If you remember, a child's behavior is a reflection of what's going on in his or her heart. And that a child's needs always grow deeper than the behavior that we see. So as parents, it's our job to figure out um, the heart issue. What's going on in the heart? How do we address that and help them understand the attitude behind the behavior? And then finally, last week, we talked about how discipline, uh, when it comes to how parents discipline their children, it, it should result or lead to discipleship. Now, again, no parent is perfect. But as we rely on a perfect Savior and as we look at how God disciplines us, and he does, his word teaches that, it's in a way that draws us closer to himself. And this week I was just thinking about that and the way that we discipline our kids. Um, It really should be an opportunity to draw our kids closer um, to ourselves and to help teach them and show them what right living looks like. You know, I truly believe that this series of messages um, is, is relatable to, to any adult in any season of life. And that's because it's beneficial for us to develop a biblical foundation uh, for parenting long before we have kids. You know, I told you last week, Faith and I are so fortunate to have people in our lives, adults, that we've looked to over the years that have modeled and demonstrated what that, that personal and sincere faith looks like, what, what, a, what healthy parenting looks like, what biblical parenting looks like. So if you're here today and you, you don't have kids yet, or... Um, Maybe, maybe you're not even thinking about that. That's not even the realm of possibility right now. Um, these things are good to, to begin to develop that firm foundation for biblical parenting. It's good to hear. If you're here today and you have kids, little kids at home, um, there's nothing uh, more timely than to be able to apply some of these things to your life and, and begin to uh, allow God to mold and shape what parenting looks like in your home. And then if you're here today and your kids are, are out of the house and maybe they have been for years and you have grandchildren or, you, you know, your kids are grown, I think that this is extremely important for you as well because we can grow together. We can encourage one another as we seek to parent in the way that God has, has called us to parent and in a way that would honor him. You know, that older generation, you can begin to pour into and invest in the lives of, of the younger generation. Share the areas that you've been successful in, and also share the areas that maybe you weren't so successful in. You know, we can learn from, from all of that. So today we're going to talk about some important parenting principles uh, that are found in the book of Ephesians. Now, 
It's kind of a side note and maybe a little bit of a joke, but I intended to preach uh, on the, the four principles that are listed in your bulletin uh, in one message today. Um, but when I got done with my message this week, it was the longest message that, that I had written thus far, and I was talking to my wife about it, and she said, now you do realize that Sunday we're going to be honoring our veterans, and we also have turkey that's waiting on us in the next room, so that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> All right, so I've decided to cut the message in half today, and we're going to do part one today. And then we're going to wrap up next week and do part two. Uh, because again, there's some good food next door and I know you want, to get, you want to get over there. So we'll look at two parenting principles this morning and then, and then the rest next week. So what's great about these principles? Uh, number one, they're found directly in God's word. Um, but they're all about building healthy relationships in our lives. So maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, I don't have kids. And we've talked about how we all have kids in our lives in some form uh, or another. But maybe you're here and you, and you don't have kids well, uh, or your kids are, are out of the house. These, these relationship principles um, really do affect every area of our lives. So uh, number one, with our kids for sure, but maybe your coworkers, uh, your parents, your spouse, friends, relatives, neighbors, these parenting principles are really relationship principles, and they apply to every area. Um, every parenting principle that we're going to talk about today and next week is also an individual characteristic of God. That's what's really neat about this, and I, and I think you'll see that. It's an individual characteristic of God. And we've talked about how if, if faith is caught as well as taught, then applying these principles to our lives will help our kids and other people have a clear picture of who Jesus is because these parenting principles are, are characteristics of God. So we're going to start in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 17 through uh, the very first part of Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to read through this in its entirety. It's not very long, but uh, we'll read that together and then we'll jump right in to the first principle. So we'll start in Ephesians 4, verse 17. It says this, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Uh, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you first heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in the true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And then we, we start to get to the relationship principles or the parenting principles. It says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And then we get to the part that was our scripture reading today, and you'll see why this is so important. Follow God's example. 
Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we've, we've talked about in, in messages past how the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to help encourage and strengthen the faith of other Christians who were living in Ephesus. And we've also talked about how the book of Ephesians really is broken down into two parts. You have the first part, which is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. And that talks about our identity um, or who we are in Christ. If you have a relationship with Jesus this morning, it talks about your identity, who you are in Christ. And then the second half of Ephesians, chapter 4 through 6, talks about how we're called to live. It's more about the conduct, uh, conduct what, what we should do as followers of Christ. Now, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, what we just read, is so important if we're to understand the previous verses that are in chapter 4. You see, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So there's a word there that that I want to touch on just for a minute. And it's this, this idea of, of imitating God. I think that's a better word that's in, in some other translations. Other translations, they tell us to imitate God or to be imitators of God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about this idea of imitating God, right, think, think about this for a second. Imitating God, living like God, modeling his character, maybe his nature to other people. That, that sounds really difficult, <laughs> But I think that's the point. I think that's what Paul is getting at. Remember, part of having a personal and sincere faith in Jesus and living the life that God's called us to live means that we rely on a perfect Savior. It means that we aren't perfect ourselves. It means that we rely on a perfect Savior. And it goes back to the, to the whole point behind this series, and that is that no parent is perfect and that we desperately need God's help in our lives as we live as imitators of God as we apply these truths and these characteristics to our lives. So Ephesians 5 starts by talking about imitate God, imitate Christ in your lives, be imitators of God. And then that takes us back to Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 32, which is the part that's full of these relationship principles or parenting principles that we're called uh, to live out in our own lives as we follow Jesus. Now, these principles, again, are also characteristics of God, and that's why chapter 5 starts by telling us to be imitators of God. Paul had just wrapped up this idea of these are the things you should do. This is how you should live out your faith. And by the way, when you do that, you're imitating God. This is part of his character. I would also say that these principles are key parenting principles that should be demonstrated in our own lives and taught to our children as we raise them in the Lord. And because no parent is perfect, every single principle that we talk about over the next couple weeks um, should be prayed about first. So if you hear something and, and you say, you know, I really struggle with that in my home. I struggle with that with my kids or with my grandchildren. Pray about it first and then rely on, on Jesus to help you apply those to your lives. So if you're taking notes, the first parenting principle that we're going to talk about today is uh, that we should learn to quench anger quickly. Quench anger quickly. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, we, we read this this morning. It says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. 
So in the Old Testament, in Psalm 103, verse 8, we, we read about how God is compassionate, how he's gracious, and how he himself is slow to anger. And being slow to anger and, and learning to quench anger quickly is an important characteristic of God, and it's an important characteristic for Christians as well. Now here's, we were talking in our group last week. We have a, a Monday morning group that meets to study the messages uh, from the Sunday before. And this was brought up, and I think it's extremely valid, it's important, and that is that God's word never tells us that, that we, should, we should not feel angry. All right? God's word never tells us that we shouldn't be angry at certain things. That's part of being human. In fact, God is angry at certain things. God's word never tells us that we shouldn't feel angry about things, but it does teach us that it's important to handle our anger in the right way. So how many of us just, we're going to survey the room real quick this morning. I want some active participation from you. Just all across the room, how many of you can remember a time in your life, and we're not going to have you share it, I just want kind of the representation today. How many of you can remember a time when you got so angry um, that you ended up saying something or doing something hurtful to someone else? Just a show of hands all across the room. All right, so instead of looking at me, look, look around the room real quick. Keep your hands up. All right, that's pretty much everybody today. <laughs> all right, we've all been there, right? We've all become so angry that we've either said or done something. We've acted on our anger in a way that's hurtful to someone else. You know, as parents, we get angry and maybe we spank a little too hard. We get angry and we ended up say, saying or doing something that we regret later. And I think sometimes not responding out of anger is one of the hardest things to actually do in our lives. So if you, if you kind of flip the, squ- the script for a second, not responding out of anger is often harder than handling your anger in the right way. And that's why we start with prayer and we rely on God in our lives. You know, I'm going to say this, but this, this is something we all know, but it needs to be said. And that is that if acted upon in the wrong way, anger can and will hurt others. Anger can and, and has the potential to completely destroy relationships within our family, within our place of work, within uh, friends, whatever it is, whatever kind of relationship, anger has the potential of really hurting those relationships. And on the other hand, if we just keep it locked up inside, if we don't do anything about our anger, it can cause us to become bitter and distant from God and from other people. And I believe that's why the Apostle Paul tells us to deal with your anger quickly. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't wait until tomorrow. Don't let the sun go down. Address it today. Quench anger quickly. You know, we should quench anger quickly. We should handle it quickly so that we're building healthy relationships instead of giving the devil a foothold into our families, into the relationship that we have with our spouse, with our kids, our coworkers, our neighbors. It's probably one of the hardest things, you know, neighbors that you don't like. (laughs) We should do that so that we should quench anger quickly. James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 says this, that uh, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. 
So I was thinking about a really funny story this week. This is true. Um, the last house that Faith and I and our boys lived in in Oklahoma City was part of an HOA. It's a homeowners association. And one thing I've noticed over the past few years is that HOAs have started to develop Facebook groups because, you know, it's a lot easier than texting or calling. And it's a way that homeowners and neighbors can stay in contact with each other. They can talk about if there's a need that needs to be addressed, if there's any news like a block party or, you know, anything like that. Facebook groups these days tend to have, or HOAs tend to have Facebook groups. So I remember hearing a great story. It was a great HOA story from a really good friend of mine this past summer. Um, He and his wife are empty nesters, and they live in a home that's part of an HOA. And their HOA has a Facebook group. So people get on there, and they can, you know, rant and complain and do all sorts of stuff about neighbors, you know, pick up your so-and-so that's in the front yard or whatever you want to do. So he said that he, he saw a post on there from a mom that was uh, living in, in one of the houses in the neighborhood. This is, a, this is a true story, and I think it's a great example of how many of us feel as parents or how we felt in the past. So I'm going to read this Facebook post word for word. I'm not going to tell you who it was. It wouldn't matter anyway because, you know, they're hundreds of miles away. But this is what this mom said on Facebook. She said, since it's getting warmer outside, and don't we wish that were the case, <laughs> Since it's getting warmer outside, I finally opened up my windows. I also feel like I need to make a public service announcement. If you hear me yelling at my children, just know that I've asked them nicely at least five times before I resorted to psycho mom. And even while I'm using the psycho mom voice, my kids are still probably not listening. Just know that my kids are fine, but I myself, on the other hand, might be losing it. (laughs) Man, this is a real story from a real mom dealing with real-life situations. We've all been there, right? You don't have to just be a mom. We've all been there. We've all said and we've all done things out of anger. The key, though, is to pray and allow God to help us quench anger quickly. That's how we build the kind of relationships that honor God and give our kids a more accurate picture of who God is. And and I feel like I've I've said this a lot, but I feel like I, I need to keep saying it because faith and I are not perfect. No parent in here is perfect. You get to the end of something like this and you talk about quenching anger quickly. And yeah, it would be nice to be able to do that in every single situation. But there are times when when I just can't take it anymore. (laughs) You know, there are times when faith, you know, it feels like resorting to psycho mom. All right. We've all been there. But again, that's the key. You rely on on each other. If your spouse is is in the home with you, you can rely, rely on each other and you rely on God. You pray about those things and you allow God to help you quench anger quickly. So that's the first point. The second one that we're going to talk about today, um, Jack actually mentioned a little bit, um, but it's, it's this idea to work to give, not just live. So that's the second point if you're taking notes. Work to give, not just live. So the verse just immediately following, we're just going in order here uh, through these verses today. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28 says, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So the second characteristic of God that's also an important parenting principle or even relationship principle is the idea of generosity. Generosity. Um, Ephesians 4.28 is a verse that we've actually shared with our kids uh, quite a few times. So if we, if we see one of our kids sneaking something out of the kitchen when they've been told not to go in anymore, if they take a toy from another kid and they didn't ask for it, or if we ask them to do chores around the house and they just complain about it, right, we've all been there, um, we'll open God's word and we'll share Ephesians 4.28 with them and show them the importance of hard work that's paired with generosity. Those things go hand in hand. 
hard work and, and generosity. And when it comes to how we're called to give generously, um, we have a perfect example in how God is generous towards us. I, I think a verse that every person here probably knows, John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We also have a great example for how generosity was lived out in the lives of those individuals who were part of the early church. I love this. Uh, in, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 44 through 45, it says, All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> they sold property, they sold possessions to give to one another, to give to anyone who had need. So God is our greatest example of what generosity looks like. And generosity was also part of the early church's DNA. I believe as, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be generous in our own lives as well. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13, the Apostle Paul tells us, that, now this, this is really hard to hear sometimes, but he says that generosity is one proof that we are in Christ. I want you to hear that again. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13, the Apostle Paul tells the church that being generous, not just thinking about generosity or not just wanting to be generous, but living that out regardless of, of your circumstances, being generous is one proof that you're in Christ. Now, Faith and I have talked about this quite a bit since we've moved here, but I'm, I'm glad that we're a part of a generous church. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we're part of a church family that loves to be generous. Anytime that there's a need that comes up, I feel like that need is met almost immediately. And, and the truth is, within the body of Christ, um, r- the resources should be unlimited, right? Because we, we serve a God who can do anything, who can do far more than we can pray about or imagine or, or dream about. He can do far more. So resources should be unlimited in the local church. I truly believe that. And I just, I feel very fortunate and blessed that we serve alongside men and women and families that, that are generous. Uh, Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me in this, says the Lord. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough to share. So there, there are a couple ways that we have intentionally tried to teach and demonstrate generosity in our own homes. Um, one of the ways, you know, anytime our boys get an allowance or birthday money or anytime they're given any money for any reason, we talk about um, the, the idea of giving to God first. We talk about what it means to, uh, to save money and then also to, to spend as, as good stewards, to spend our money wisely. So we talk about those things. Sometimes it's more of a formal conversation where we sit down and sometimes it's in passing when we're going down the, the toy aisle at Target, all right, and they have the money in hand. But we talk about those things. And I really do feel like it goes a long way. And we also talk about how giving to God through the local church, and I want you to hear this, giving to God through the local church is an extension of our worship. It's an extension of our worship. We just read Malachi uh, 3.10. You know, giving and generosity is the correct response for all Christians. Giving and generosity is the correct response for followers of Christ. But it's important that we also understand the point behind our giving. As you're led to give, your, your generosity is an extension of worship in your life. It's an extension of worship. And as we give, we, we do so in response to what God has already done in our lives. And we give knowing that we cannot outgive God. 
There's no possible way. No matter the amount that you give, whether you're only able to give a small amount or, or a large amount, nothing you can do can outgive God. And as we give, we can claim the promise that God will bless our generosity in, in many different ways. I, I, I truly believe this, this happens in whatever way that he chooses. It, it can, and I've seen it happen in financial ways, financial blessing. But other times it might be in greater faith. Maybe God's using that as a season in your life to stretch you and draw you closer to him, to make sure that your number one dependent is on him and not, not money. That's why Jesus talks about finances more than just about anything else. Because in this life, we're, we're either going to love God or we're going to love money. We're going to serve one or the other. There really is no middle ground. So God blesses that, that giving. He also uses it to just impact the lives of other people and uses you as a tool, as a way to, to touch the lives of other people. You know, as parents and as grandparents, I believe that it's important that we share with our kids how God has been faithful uh, in our lives through giving. How God has used us to be kingdom workers through generosity. We should encourage our kids to be generous because God is generous and because Christians are called to be generous. And again, you know, Jack mentioned that this morning. That certainly we talk about finances, but that can be in any other area of your lives. But I don't want us to to use that as, as an excuse to not give financially, to not be generous financially, because that's what scripture talks about more than really anything else. We should encourage our kids to be generous because God is generous first and because Christians are called to be generous. I believe that if we encourage our kids to give young, it won't be hard for them to give when they're older. Hear that again. If you encourage your kids and you demonstrate to your kids what it looks like to give when they're young, it won't be hard for them to give when they're older. And the opposite is true as well. If our faith is expressed through a lack of generosity, our kids and our grandkids will see that. I believe that our youth are never too young to give, never too young to serve. I, I hear people all the time saying that they're the future of the church. I believe they are the church. Our kids are the church. As you give generously, God is able to use the gifts that you give and multiply it greater than, than any way that you could have ever expected. As you give generously, you're used by God to further his kingdom here on earth. And as you give generously and teach generosity to your kids and your grandkids, a personal and sincere faith is caught as well as taught. So today, this, this again is not an all-inclusive list of, of parenting principles or relationship principles, but it's a great place to start. And we talked last week about you know, if you hear some parenting principles and you feel like right now, just this season, maybe your home is just a mess. Your home is a wreck and you, you know that God wants to see a change and you don't know where to start. Just pick one area. Again, pray about those things. Rely on God and allow him to begin to, to, to move and mold your family into what he's called you to be. We should pray about these things and then rely on God to help us apply them. So today we talked about quenching anger quickly. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't wait until tomorrow. You know, there's, there's so much truth for that, for parents, but for any relationship. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And then work to give, not just live. You know, I, I hear it all the time from friends that they, they try to get through the week just so they can get to Friday. 
One of the best things I've ever heard was from an elder that we served with, and him and his wife decided early on that they were going to live every single day to the fullest. They weren't going to just work for Friday. They weren't just going to work for, for the, uh, the vacation coming up. They were going to live every single day as a gift from God and just enjoy it. Enjoy what God has given you. And that's really what it means to work, uh, to, to give, not just live. We're not just working so that we can save and buy the things that we want or, or, or work to live the lifestyle that we want. As followers of Jesus, we're called to put away our old selves. That's what Paul was telling some of these believers. And, and a lot of them, they followed, him for, followed Jesus for a short time and then they turned around because they just, they, it wasn't for them. There's a seriousness to our faith. As we work in our lives, we do that so that primarily we can enhance the kingdom of God so that we can invest in that. We can be kingdom workers. And then we enjoy the gifts that God has given us. So quench anger quickly and work to give, not just live. Demonstrate that for your kids. Talk about that in your home. Allow them to see that. 